Hi, my name is John Christen, and this is Out of Bounds, Daily Bruins Sports Podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone. Again, my name is John Christen, and I'm the sports editor here at the Daily Bruin. Today, I'm joined by assistant sports editor Sam Seidelman and assistant sports editor Brian Palmero. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. Doing great as well. Excited to be on my second ever sports podcast. Love to see it. So it's been nearly a year and a half since the last Out of Bounce episode. The last episode is June 2020, and that was with Sam Conan, a previous sports editor. But it's been so long since the last Out of Bounds podcast. Brian and Sam were not even part of the paper the last time we recorded one of these. So um happy to bring it back. Shout out to new podcast editor Zoe Willoughby for helping us out with this uh, to bring this back. So uh, since the last podcast we've done, a lot of things have happened with UCLA Athletics. Um, so let's start with the, the biggest sport there is, and let's start with football. Obviously, in the last few weeks uh football has had a lot of news you know chip extension and all that but i think the one that is probably most popular with fans most talked about by fans is the resignation of defense coordinator jerry azanaro jerry was the defense coordinator starting when chip got hired in 20 before the 2018 season but he resigned on wednesday uh, before I get into some of his stats and, and his defense, uh, I just want to ask, Sam, what was your immediate action and your reaction when you heard the Jerry Azanaro news? Yeah, I mean, I think there really was only one possible reaction to that news, and that and that was to celebrate. Because, I mean, it's no secret that UCLA has had some of the worst passing defenses, not only in the conference, but in the country over the last four years. And you could argue that there's been some lack of talent in the secondary, um, but it just felt like UCLA gave up way too many big plays at big moments and I feel like it was just time for a switch yeah I I I agree with that um just to just to paint the whole picture here um he started in 2018 2018 uh they gave up 34.1 points per game that was 11th in the Pac-12 and uh total yardage allowed 444.9 yards allowed per game that was also 11th in the Pac-12 it actually they, they stayed at 11th in both of those categories, but they both got worse, the total yards allowed and the scoring defense. And the passing defense, this is when it really started to crater out. They were 129th in the nation out of 130 teams in passing defense in 2019, Jerry's second year. They gave up over 310 passing yards a game, which, of course, was last in the Pac-12 and 129th in the nation. They showed a little sign of improvement, but still not much. In 2020, they... Um, they lowered their points allowed per game by almost five points, but they still ranked 11th in the Pac-12 in passing defense, giving up 274.1 passing yards allowed per game. And then again, this year they finished in last in the Pac-12 in passing yards. Um, they started to become a little bit of a rushing defense unit, ranking second in the Pac-12 each of those years, but it, it just wasn't enough after all this. The, the defense really, the passing defense in particular, has just been so bad the last four years so I, I i think many fans shared sam's sentiment that it was it was a celebration worthy moment when he decided to resign i i my reaction i remember um it was in the morning so i just woken up and i remember seeing a lot of people saying that maybe it spelled the end of the chip kelly era at ucla maybe this is a sign of things to come because of course it was one of many coaching changes with Justin Fry, the co-offense coordinator and offensive line coach, leaving for Ohio State, with Derek Sage, the tight ends coach, leaving to Nevada. 
But I kind of saw it a different way. It seemed to me that it was more about chip, uh, maybe a contract negotiation thing by UCLA using whatever leverage they had. But before we get into chip, I just want to ask Sam and Brian, what are your guys's any Jerry as an arrow moment stand out to you in particular that kind of represented his shortcomings as defense coordinator? Sam, I'll let you go on that. Yeah, if I had to pick one, I mean, I think UCLA fans would all agree with that one. Um, it was Fresno State last season. You know, that was UCLA's big chance to go 3-0 and in non-conference play after the LSU upset, really kind of make a statement. But instead, they let a quarterback who could, you know, barely walk on two legs drive 75 yards down the field in less than a minute. And it wasn't just the, it was really the way it happened. I mean, you have DBs lined up 15 yards off the ball with Fresno State in the red zone, and you give up a, a late game touchdown that really kind of put a damper on the whole season. Um, and I think that was really just a microcosm of his entire ten, entire tenure at UCLA. You know, big plays at the worst possible times um, and just mistakes across the field, really. Yeah, I think I'm going to echo that sentiment. Um, I remember that Fresno State game well. Me and Sam were both in the press box for that. Sam was particularly flustered, I remember, but we were both right in the wrap, and that was a tough one. But but I'll go back to 2020 and do the USC loss. Um, of course, many remember Nicholas Barmira hit a, a field goal to put the Bruins up, and then um, in under a minute, in just a few plays, really, USC drove the length of the field and scored the game-winning touchdown in less than a minute. And it was the same thing Sam's talking about with 10, 15 yards of cushion for no reason. Defensive backs playing way beyond the the first down yardage, just giving up chunk play after chunk play. And I think the thing that many fans didn't like about it is it just never showed any improvement. And he never answered to any of it. Um, it's been well documented now that he never spoke to the media Never spoke to us in four years as defense coordinator at UCLA. He's the only major coordinator. Um, I know in the Pac-12 that never did that. And, and so a lot of times he was leaving the players up to answer questions that really they shouldn't have been answering. So I, I think it's a it's good for UCLA that they got rid of him. And I think the defense can really only improve from here. But, but like I said, I think that the Jerry News kind of signaled that UCLA wanted to keep Chip but they didn't want to keep Jerry. And that's exactly what happened because um, a few days later on Friday, Chip signed a four-year contract extension for $4.7 million in average values. That's going to keep him in Westwood until 2025 at least. Um, So that was signed last Friday. And it was a few days before um, his $9 million buyout was supposed to expire on January 16th. So you could tell that the sides were negotiating and it kind of just looked like the Jerry thing was, you know, UCLA Athletic Director Martin Jarman telling Chip, hey, we'll bring you back, but we don't want Jerry Azanaro with you. We need a new defense coordinator. And it looks like the sides were able to agree on a, on a, a deal there. Um, Sam, what, what are your thoughts on this Chip extension? Do you think it's too long? Do you think he didn't deserve it? Or, or what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it. I think I think it's a polarized debate and that, you know, some UCLA fans this season, they wanted him gone more than anything. And some people truly thought, you know, he's still the guy to lead UCLA back to its glory days. For me, I'm not really sure UCLA needed a coaching change right now. And in that sense, it's good. And Chip is obviously, you know, a brilliant football mind. He's established that, um, obviously, at Oregon particularly. But at the same time, you obviously have to look back at his first four years uh, with UCLA is a failure relative to expectation. So I think it's the right move for UCLA, um, but I don't know if it's a win for for the program. 
Brian, how about you? I know uh, Brian, you're not a big football guy, but just from the vibe you're picking up from the fan base, what, what are your thoughts on it? Honestly, this season really was a disappointment. It was like the culmination of Chip's first ever recruiting class that came with him in 2018. Many fourth years, many people have been acclimated with the program over the seasons. And yet we compiled a record that probably should have been better. A couple losses. I think the Fresno State game, as Sam mentioned before, really had the chance to pull through. But with Jerry in the defensive coordinator's seat, just didn't have the chops or the opportunity to do so. I'll be honest with Sam, I agree. If we were to go with a different coach, maybe our recruiting class for next year uh, would all jump ship to another school. It just, the timing wasn't right to go with another option. Ship here, as Sam said, was the move, but maybe not a winning move. Yeah, and I think another thing to add there is um, everyone kept talking about the buyout and he could leave or they could fire him without anything. But really, I mean, it's the middle of January. All the coaches that want to, that, we're flirting with other schools have signed extensions. There's no good coach that's available that's better than Chip Kelly that's not doesn't have a job right now. And it just happened to be timing that his contract is set to expire next year and that he needed a new one. But I do think there's a few um, little sources of hope. I I'm I think I'm pro extension. I think Chip showed a lot that last season. Um, I think if you could argue that if he had a competent defense coordinator. UCLA really would have been in the running for the Pac-12 South. Um, you look at a few games like the Oregon game, the the Fresno State game, obviously, as games that were winnable games um, that they they just kind of let slip out from under them. With if the defense didn't just really like collapse somewhere, I remember the Oregon game. It was the the second and third quarters they gave up um, somewhere in the range of thirty unanswered points, and then I remember. Obviously, as you guys said, the Fresno State game was just a disaster. But I do think the offense really showed a lot of improvement. I, I think they, they led the Pac-12 in scoring offense this year, averaging almost 37 points a game. Um, they finished the season scoring 40-plus in three straight games, including putting up a program record 62 points on USC. And if we get that kind of, any even close to that offense next year, um, in the coming years, because really this is a commitment to chip for more than next year, for the next four years at least. Um, so I, I I think with that, I really do think the offense is something to build on. And I think the defense coordinator is really, who he hires is really going to be critical in that because the offense is not broken. It's a defense that needs a lot of work. So speaking of defense, the coordinator and the coordinators, um, I, I just wanted to ask you guys, do you guys think that chip should look from within the program and hire someone like say a Brian Norwood who's been on staff for the last few years to elevate him to be a defense coordinator or should they look someone who doesn't have Jerry's fingerprints on and look for someone outside the program for that Sam what do you think I think they have to go with an internal candidate I know the fans probably don't want that that's the conservative pick just just like keeping Chip Kelly was Um, but you look at a guy like Brian Norwood like you mentioned probably the leading candidate in that department. Um, and as the defensive backs coach, it's easy to say, you know, look at his resume and say he isn't the right man for this. You know, he's going to lead right in the footsteps of Jerry Azanaro. Um, but if you look at guys like Quentin Lake, Quantra's Knight, UCLA has developed some talent in the secondary. Those guys are going to be NFL players more likely than not. And he's brought the nickel 425 here, which has largely been successful so far. So certainly not a bad option, even though it might be the conservative play. Yeah, and Norwood does have experience being at least partial defense coordinator. He was co-defense coordinator at Navy 
and Kansas State, and they both had really good defenses. I know D- Navy especially was known for playing that four-two-five nickel defense. Sam was talking about, and they they were really good at it. And so you just think if Jerry got to, or uh, Jerry stepped aside and let Brian run that um, more fully. I know they ran that the last few years, but more to Brian's likings. I think the defense really could be could be something special. I know next year it may be a bit of a learning curve with whoever they hire with all the seniors and all the the turnover they're having on defense. But yeah, I saw a few other candidates for defense coordinator. Um, I know Jimmy Lake, the Washington coach the last two seasons has been thrown around there. I just can't imagine them hiring someone uh, using someone with that big of a name. I'm not sure about that. I do think the athletic department is going to have a big say in who they hire. I don't think they extend ship if they don't get um, at least a little bit of a say or at least they get to present their candidate because I really don't think they want Jerry as an RO 2.0, someone who's been with chip the last few stops and who really doesn't, hasn't had that much experience being a defense coordinator. I know Jerry had one stop before that, but, and then in terms of offensive offense coordinator, there, there's that opening as well with Justin Fry leaving. That one isn't as big because obviously Chip Kelly calls the plays. It's his offense. A few of the, the, the uh, candidates I wrote down, Ryan Gunderson is the quarterback's coach. He was hired last offseason after four years at San Jose State. He was the passing game coordinator there and the quarterback's coach. So he hasn't been an offense coordinator. Um, he's been close to it at San Jose State. And I think you just look at the, the improvement from DTR Nick last year, who we'll talk about in a bit. But you can see that and kind of hope for that. Maybe someone will look like someone young, like Jerry Neuheisel. I personally think he's too young. Um, and then there's outside the the school candidates, someone like a Mark Helfrich, who was Oregon's head coach for uh, four years and who was also offense coordinator under Chip Kelly before that at Oregon. And there are rumors that Chip had offered him the job, but um, he, he didn't take it in 2017. But yeah, so we'll move on from coordinators. Obviously, they was more than just extension and coaching news. Dorian Thompson-Robinson last Monday uh, announced that he was going to be using a fifth year of eligibility granted to all student athletes because of the pandemic to return to UCLA for a fifth season. Uh, he he had his best season last year, I would say. I don't think that's too controversial, but he still was kind of whacking in some departments. His turnovers went down, but it, it looked like his yardage which wasn't there. Sam, what, what are your thoughts on the ceiling for DTR next year? Well, where, where can Dorian Thompson-Robinson get to that he wasn't able to get to in his last four years in Westwood? I think it's tempting to say he'll be the best quarterback in the Pac-12 based on experience alone. And I think UCLA fans especially want that to be true. And we say that almost every year, it feels like, but I just don't really see it. And that's not necessarily a knock on DTR, but this offense, I don't think, has the pieces to turn him into a top-tier quarterback in this conference with Dulcich gone, Phillips gone, and perhaps more importantly, I think Anderson and Ryan, um, you know, two of the top pieces on that offensive offensive line. Um, I just don't think that offense is going to be good enough to make him a top quarterback. Yeah, and that gets me where I wanted to go next, where obviously you said Zach Charbonnet is coming back for another year after transferring from Michigan, but they're losing, like you said, Kyle Phillips, Greg Dulcich, Alec Anderson, Sean Ryan, those last few were all early entrants to the draft. So it, it's going to be difficult to replace those. I agree. Um, in terms of expectations for the offense next year, I, I, I have to agree with Sam. I think it's going to definitely be a step down. But at the same time, you look around the Pac-12, and it goes without saying DTR is going to be the most experienced quarterback in the conference. But 
He really no other quarterback. Like you can look at Utah and Cam Rising. You can look at Arizona State and Jaden Daniels. But beyond that, Oregon is getting a transfer or starting um, someone without experience. You look at USC, Jackson Dart and Keaton Slovis are both transferring. So I do think UCLA is going to have that advantage, um, having a quarterback that is that knows the system so well and who's really used to the coach. So I think the offense will be one of the better ones in the Pac-12 just because of that. And, and we'll see. Uh, I think in terms of talent, I think Chip is a big user of the transfer portal, and we've already seen that with getting um, transfers from Duke and UCF. Um, at wide receivers, so I don't think he's done there yet either. So I don't think the offense is looking as complete as we we expect it to be. Um, but I think it's getting there, and I think I do think the offense will take a step back. But I think overall, it's still going to be one of the better ones in the in the conference. So just to end this conversation on football, I just want to look at next season. They play a twelve game slate next year, as always. They start with three non-conference games against Bowling Green, Alabama State, South Alabama. So there should be a little bit of room for a learning curve for a new defense coordinator for all those new additions. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Brian and Sam. Let's start with Brian. Brian, how many games do you think we're, we are going to win next year and why? I think we have the chance to go 8-4. and four. I don't really trust our chances against Lincoln Riley and USC, maybe a little Utah, Oregon. But the other games possibly get over that Arizona hump that um the Arizona State hump that we had earlier this last season so eight definitely is within the question it just depends on how good our defense is I feel like our offense is still going to be superior uh to most teams it's really just the defense Sam what about you I'm going seven and five I think um obviously you mentioned the strength of schedule is not is not quite too high but I just don't have incredibly high hopes with all the turnover, both both coordinator coordinator positions and just roster turnover in general. Um, I think the offense will be successful on the ground, obviously with Charbonnet and still a relatively strong offensive line, but I just don't know if it'll be strong enough to propel them past that seven-win mark. Mm-hmm. And I, I think seven wins is probably um, in the safe zone for Chip. I think anything less than a bowl game would be Obviously, fans have uh, not been shy of voicing their displeasure, but if they don't make a bowl game next year, obviously that is a big deal. I think the schedule is really conducive to a seven or eight win season, like Sam or Brian said. It's just they have those three easy cupcakes at the beginning, and then really they play four road games total. One of those is at California, and the other is at Colorado. Those are two really winnable games, and that gets you to five wins right off the bat. So I would say anything less than seven wins anything less than six wins is really not a disastrous season but really just a really far step back after going eight and four this season but yeah that's going to wrap up football uh talk for us so let's shift gears into basketball we'll start with men's basketball they are 11 and 2 this season so far they're coming off a one-on-one weekend uh with a loss to oregon overtime loss um last thursday and then they bounce back with a win against oregon state uh, for Sam and Brian, do you guys is this about where you thought men's basketball would be? You know, obviously they had that long pause, like long COVID pause. They entered the season number two in the country. They picked up the two early losses, but they're respectable losses, obviously against number one Gonzaga and then a hot Oregon team. So is this about where you guys thought UCLA would be, or is it a little bit of a disappointment for you guys? Sam, you want to start us off with that? I think 
I think this is about where I thought they would be. I think obviously there was a lot of hype and expectations coming into this season based solely on that March Madness run. And I think everybody knows March Madness can can be a little bit of a fluky tournament. And I don't want to say this team doesn't have what it takes to get back to that position this year. Um, but this is about where I thought they would be, a two-loss team. And they've they've been good, not great. Um, and they'll have some time over the next couple months to develop into hopefully that team that they were last March because um, they certainly have the talent to get there. Brian, what about you? I definitely don't expect this team to be undefeated at this point, but two losses is just one loss too many. That Gonzaga game definitely wasn't going to go anywhere near UCLA's way after what one could say was a fluky March Madness where all the mid-range shots were just going in. But that loss to Oregon was a little bit disappointing. You saw Jalen Clark pop off and show out on that game, but the rest of the team didn't show that sort of in- insistence or um, reason to just win out that game. But this team does have the chops. I think when Miles Johnson and Cody Riley and maybe even Kenneth Nuba find their, their rhythm down in, at the center position and play a pivotal role in breaking, uh, rebounding, cleaning the glass, UCLA could just cl- uh, finish out this season um, the way it should be and possibly go for a deep Final Four run. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the big rotation because I think the Oregon loss really displayed a defense that's kind of struggling out there, which is uncharacteristic, obviously, of a McCronin team. I know the last few years the offense has been better than the defense, but you'd think after a few years Cronin's defense is starting to finally take hold. But against Oregon, it just looked really like the Ducks were running all their actions at Cody Riley and Miles Johnson, like you said. And Cody Riley um, hurt sprained MCL uh, the season opener, so he's still getting his legs underneath him. But Miles Johnson has been a little bit of a disappointment so far, I would say. I, I expected big things from him this year, but he's he's a good shot blocker, but he's just never in the paint enough because teams will drag him out on a pick and roll and whatnot to get him away from the basket. And then that's what Oregon did. That's how they were able to score 84 points at Pauly. Um, you just saw guys like Jacob Young and Will Richardson um, utilize a screen from one of their bigs and Pauly Dante had a good game. And just the defense, or UCLA's defense, is just not at the level it needs to be yet. But I'm optimistic it'll get there. Brian, you mentioned that Jalen Clark had uh, had a great showing against Oregon. He also had a great showing against Oregon State. He played a career-high 32 minutes because of Jaime Hawkins Jr.'s injury. And he and Clark scored a career-high 11 points in that game. So I think that is just really intriguing to see that a uh, young guy like that, a young player like that, is, is starting to kind of rounded the form. I know Mick Cronin talked about how he's had some struggles staying on the court early in the season. He had a concussion in the preseason, then he got sick, and then the COVID pause happened. Um, but he he's finally kind of finding his footing, and he really does seem to add something that last year's team didn't really have. I know have I know Jalen Clark was on the team last year, but he wasn't this much of an offensive threat, really, and he was really kind of just like a spurt defender, energy defender last year. Um, I know, Sam, you're a big Jalen Clark fan. What what are your thoughts on him and how high he can elevate UCLA's ceiling? Yeah, I know we've talked about it before, um, but I think out of you know Jaime Hawkins, Johnny Juzang, Jalen Clark, I think honestly Jalen Clark might have the highest ceiling in terms of being a professional basketball player. Um, you look at Johnny Juzang; he's got the offensive talent. Big question mark on the defensive end. Jaime Hawkins, I think he can be a solid role player at the in the NBA, um, but Jalen Clark kind of has the tools. I think to be to reach that much higher ceiling, um, he's got the body for it. I think 
Um, and he's certainly got the intangibles. You know, he plays with a lot of a lot of effort, a lot of heart. And once he gets there on the offensive end, which I think he's shown flashes of it, once he truly gets there, I think he can he can really elevate to that next level. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking of NBA players, I think the the one obvious one people saw coming in was Peyton Watson, a five star freshman from California, but he really hasn't played. Uh, before this weekend up to the level a lot of fans are expecting. He played only eight minutes against California the week before, and he really was struggling to find his footing. You could see he's just very raw offensively, doesn't have much of a, a ball-handling game, um, can't do much besides dunk. And his defense definitely it takes time to learn Cronin's defense, and he, he looked like he was struggling. But against Oregon, Oregon State, he really looked like he found something. He played 44 minutes across the two games, which is the most of any two-game stretch so far of his career. And he scored 14 points. He's a little inefficient, but um, you can't expect too much out of a young player. But I think the most intriguing part was his defense. He got four blocks across the two games. So far this season, he has 11 blocks, I believe. And that puts him second, even though he's hasn't played nearly as many minutes as that many other players on the team. And he can also rebound well. He had 13 min- rebounds across Oregon Oregon State game. So I think he's really just an intriguing talent that UCLA really hasn't had anyone like him before. He's six eight. He's two hundred pounds. I think he's getting bigger, but really he's just a, a unique talent for sure. Brian, I I know you've also talked about Peyton Watson before. So what what are your thoughts on him and how this kind of little sh- growth of improvement in the middle of the season is kind of how what does that mean for the rest of UCLA season with him? I'll be honest. My thoughts on Peyton Watson are that hot take he shouldn't have went to UCLA he really needs more minutes to develop on the floor after a senior year of high school where which he didn't play because of COVID-19 he just needs more reps and even though we're seeing an up a slight uptick seeing his potential on defense there's still much left to be improved um and you really just can't improve on the offensive end if you don't get those minutes you don't get those in-game reps against high quality defenses um but if McCronin is on this trend and we keep seeing him play more in the limelight, I think Peyton Watson can play a pivotal role with the defense with Jalen Clark. If once again McCronin decides to play Clark in high pressure situations, UCLA's defense can really rise up to the occasion and make key stops to win out games. Mm, and I think that kind of brings me to another point I wanted to make. Just the, the availability of Watson and Clark on this team are they're really intriguing because they do a lot of rebounding. They play a lot of defense. And then, uh, you know, you can see Cronin start to experiment when I talked about Miles Johnson not playing that well. Well, Cronin started utilizing a lineup that had Jalen Clark at center and Peyton Watson as the power forward. And they look really good defensively. They can switch one through five. Uh, Peyton Watson is enough of a shot blocker, rim protector, where they're not going to get killed. And they both are just good enough at rebounding where I don't think that's a problem either. So I do really think that the biggest asset they both bring is versatility. And if they keep getting better, I really do think that elevates the ceiling way past last year's team, which is uh, a lot to say because last year's team made a final four. And then just transitioning to women's basketball, but women's basketball seven and four this year, uh, they started the year ranked in the top 25, obviously. They had, they've had a lot of injuries. They played with seven active players a lot this year. Um, when they one of their strengths coming in was supposed to be depth. They're fourth in the Pac-12 right now, but they are coming off a 2-0 weekend. They beat Washington on Friday and Washington State on Sunday. Um, both of them got over its slow starts, but then they turned it, turned it up late. 
I think the most intriguing thing about Wentz basketball so far this season has been Charisma Osborne's play. I mean, it's been up and down a little bit, but she's coming off a game against Washington State where she played where she played 36 minutes, so basically the whole game, and had 25 points on 7 of 15 shooting. Um, I really think she's the most intriguing player on this team. That, that's not too much to say. But I think what makes her interesting is just the fact that she's asked to play a lot more point guard than she was supposed to. Obviously, Gina Conti from Wake Forest came in, was supposed to be that lead ball handler and let Charisma play off ball. But Gina Conti hasn't played yet for UCLA, so Charisma Osborne has really had to burden a lot of the playmaking duties as well as the scoring duties. And it's nice to see her kind of bounce back after a few rough games to kind of say, like, I'm the best player on this team. I'm going to lead us to where we need to go. And it's what you saw a lot from the last few years with Michaela Onyenwede. But now that she's with New York Liberty, someone needed to be that vocal leader, needed to be that best player. And I I really think Charisma Osborne, this last little stretch here, is kind of hinting that maybe – this is where she's starting to figure it out and be that dominant scorer as well as the vocal leader on the team. Um, but that's going to ra- wrap it up for us here at Out of Balance. The show is brought to you by The Daily Bruin, UCLA student newspaper. You can listen to this show and others by The Daily Bruin on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And a transcript for the show is available at dailybruin.com. Um, I want to thank Sam and Brian for joining me, for helping me bring back the podcast. And I want to give a big shout out again to Zoe Willoughby, for helping us out producing this podcast for us. She's really stepping up big time, stepping up clutch for us. So thanks again for everyone listening and hopefully you come back and listen to us again next week. See ya.